We are back with another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. We're talking Chicago Cubs baseball. We're talking lockout. we got a lot of things to get to here today. This is episode number 47 as we record this on December 9th, 2021. A reminder, you can follow us over on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Jeremy Spector's here. Randall J. Sanders is here. I'm Ronan O'Shea. All right, what's going on in the baseball world, guys? We're nine days into this lockout. Uh, what's up with the Cubs right now? What can we be excited about? Uh, not not much. I mean, we, we <laughs> still just got to be excited about Marcus Stroman. I mean, they did the minor league rule five draft, which we'll talk about a bit. But, you know, there's nothing. I mean, hey, they, they made a minor league signing. Besides that, they signed uh, Steven Gonsalves from the Minnesota Twins. So after the lockout, so or maybe it was before, but it was announced after. So I didn't know they could do that with a guy who was uh, playing the majors last year. It's real fuzzy on what you can and can't do with minor league or minor league associated guys right now. So that that's probably going to be all to, to uh, keep us tied it over for the next month and a half or so as these minor league signings. So we better enjoy them. Well, at least there's something to talk about. And it's always good to talk Cubs baseball. Uh, they did make a minor move here in the minor league rule five draft. We'll talk about the new Cubs pitcher that they've inherited the lockout. There's some things to get to with that. Then we got a fun segment that we're going to try out here new today. Uh, in the spirit of the lockout in Major League Baseball, we are introducing a segment that we're calling Randall's Collective Bargaining Disagreement. And Jeremy and I are going to make a series of statements, opinions, maybe facts, and we're going to see how Randall disagrees with it and if he disagrees with what we have to say. So we're going to have fun with that. We're mixing it up here tonight. Jeremy's going to host our trivia trap. He's going to lead that. We'll talk about number 47, as this is the 47th podcast. Big time Denver weather news. Exciting stuff. We'll save that for the end of the show, and then we'll get a couple minutes on the Bears and the Bulls. But, Jeremy, you're right. You know what? I'm still feeling good about Marcus Stroman. We talked about it last week. I'm feeling even better about it now. This is going to be a big time move for the Cubs. I'm really, really happy with this. Yeah, and, and you know, one other thing to look at is, you know, we all know that Marcus Stroman is a guy with – great ground ball rates, but guys with great ground ball rates tend to age a little better. I mean, we, the Cubs obviously didn't invest real long-term in him uh, only committed to two years, third year. If he sticks around, he's his own player option, but those are guys that generally stay healthier. So, you know, it, it's nice to, you know, put your money in a guy you, you think is going to be around for a while. Yeah. If that's going to be your last meal before an extended uh, dry spell here, that's a, that's a pretty good signing to go out on for this month month and a half two months however long it's going to take Stroman's still out there excited about playing for the Cubs so again that that's going to have to sustain us for the next while Randall you're the most online out of anybody us uh, of us here on this podcast and I saw something on Twitter today and I had to sort of run it by you a snarky Mets fan can you believe that they exist no. basically replying to Marcus Stroman when he said he's excited to get to Chicago meet the fans learn about the culture of the franchise and the response from this Mets fan was, you're going to be blocking fans and you're going to be blocking members of the media within five minutes of getting with the team. Who's the first media member Marcus Stroman bans in the city of Chicago? Uh, David Kaplan, easily, if okay. he hasn't already done it. <laughs> I thought you might say us, but uh, I yeah. guess David no, Kaplan. What are, what are, neither of you neither of you is going to say anything to him. And well, me, you got my... banned by Wilson for a brief spell. Uh, you know, I think he misinterpreted a statement I made that one time. I think it was, all, I think it it was all cleared up. But speaking uh, of, oh, go, yeah, go ahead. Right yeah, right. Uh, so I'm going to say Kaplan pretty easily because I think <laughs> that the second anything goes the slightest bit wrong, Kaplan's going to pop his 
bald head up like some sort of mutated mushroom out of the ground. And he's going to say, wow, can you believe the Cubs actually signed this guy? Hashtag take that. And I don't think Stroman has any time or interest in that. So, yeah, Kaplan's my bet for that. I think right. that should be a regular feature of the pod is Randall's uh, David Kaplan invitations. No, uh, I think the less David Kaplan we have on this pod, the better, personally. Uh, but speaking of, um, you know, uh, Cubs transactions, uh, especially coming from New York that were pretty online this past week, uh, Clint Frazier uh, not making some fan. I mean, you know, he had his issues with the Yankees and the Yankees fans. Most, a lot of them letting him know that they were okay with him getting out and he was letting them know back. He was perfectly fine leaving uh, New York as well. He did not seem to enjoy his time as a New York Yankee and said no. he was pretty happy to get back uh, or play for the uh, the Cubs where he feels he has a shot at more playing time. Well, and he can you grow know, his hair and facial hair. That's true. You know, it's not been a great week for New York fans trying to try and trying to make their opinions known to former players from their teams. But uh, that's the nature of being a, a New York anything is you have opinions. You believe that other people need to hear them and other people are perfectly happy to tell you to go to hell. <laughs> right. Very and you said that a couple of times, Randall, to some folks. Uh, and maybe you'll say it to us when we get into that Randall's collective bargaining disagreement segment. We rule, we rule nothing out. Well, the Cubs made a move here. The major league stuff's pretty much shut down right now. The minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft held earlier this week, and the Cubs bringing a left-handed minor league pitcher into the system now. He came from San Francisco. Connor Menez is his name. He's a 26-year-old had very limited action in the majors last year, you know, so-so numbers in AAA. But, Jeremy, this is a move here. This is as low risk as it gets. This guy doesn't have a major league commitment to the team. This isn't a David Patton situation. This is a chance for a guy to come over to Iowa and maybe work himself into the big league roster next year. Yeah, he spent time each of the last three years in the majors, so he, he's been in the majors. Uh, left-handed pitcher, he, he, he's most of his career in the minors has been as a starter. So uh, he hasn't really started much uh, for the, he came over from San Francisco, hasn't really started much for them, but uh, most of his career. So maybe that's just an arm, you know, for the Iowa rotation. And who knows if something happens, maybe that's a guy that at some point, hopefully not, but it might have to do a spot start on there. Maybe he comes up and he ends up in the bullpen as a lefty doesn't throw super hard, but apparently it looks, looks to me like he throws a slider on uh, the majority of the time. So he's really more of a slider guy, a slider, a uh, uh, four seam, a fastball and a slider so those are his two pitches maybe focus on that it'll play up coming out of the bullpen so i don't know it's an interesting move it's nice to just to have a move because we don't really have much else to talk about in terms of actual on-field going on so uh it's nice to have something sure there's no point in building up your pitching infrastructure if you're not gonna take on scrap heap guys and see what you can get out of them you can never have too many lefties and you know you've got the opportunity to make these these tiny moves on the fringes right now no point in not so it's there's no risk and maybe you get a, a decent lefty reliever out of it so again this is these are the kind of conversations we're going to be having for the next uh, goodness knows how long gosh did you see this minor league guy the cubs signed nothing wrong with this signing it's low risk potentially high reward so get ready to hear that a whole lot over the next six weeks it was an interesting uh rule five draft i thought i thought the dodgers had a really interesting uh minor league rule five draft they drafted two guys that have had substantial time in the majors and john uh duplantier from uh arizona i don't he, he i mean most of his time had been spent with arizona and carson fulmer former first round pick of the white yeah. Sox, who pitched a lot and always had out of vanderbilt had a lot of talent never really put together so i i thought that was an interesting tack they took to really to bring in like former major league pitchers in the minor league rule five draft that, you know, they found on other teams in their minor league systems that were eligible. 
I just think it's cool too that you've got all these opportunities over the course of a season as a major league team to improve your depth mm-hmm. and to improve your organization. It's not just free agency and trades. You have things like these rule five drafts at the end of the major or minor league level. And what's cool about it is it gives minor leaguers more of an opportunity, it gives them a little bit of leverage. And we know minor leaguers don't have a lot of say over anything. At least in this case, it gives another organization a chance to say, we believe you've got something and we're going to give you a shot. So there's a lot of guys in the minor leagues that are just like, I'm stuck here in AAA. And then in this case, I want to get out of Sacramento. Interesting note about John Duplanter that we were just discussing. He was actually signed by the Giants on a minor league contract last week. And the Dodgers took him in the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft just a moment ago. So these guys have to feel like they're a, they're a pinball or they're a, you know, a, a, a leaf in the wind. They're just kind of going wherever the conditions take them. That, that can't be a great feeling for a ball player is not really having any control over where you're going to end up. Yeah, and, and, and Ronan, I think, uh, yeah, that's true. I think it was even like a day after he signed with the Giants that he got drafted or two days after. But I, I agree with you. Um, you never know where guys that are going to contribute are going to come from or how they, you know. Mm-hmm. So you always have to be on the lookout to acquire talent. In my opinion, you should always be trying to improve, even incrementally. Like every move you make should always be looking to be, okay, well, this guy's better or, you know, it's a little cutthroat, but this guy is better than what we have on our roster now, even if it's just slightly better and we're not really expending, like, you know, a guy like Rowan Wick, that was a guy that was basically for a 40 man spot on the 40 man deadline, you know, a couple of years ago, just for to expose the rule five draft, he was DFA, you know, and the Cubs made a trade for him on that date. They were able to acquire him and cause they just saw uh, the Padres were, didn't have room for him. So they acquired him and then he became, you know, hopefully he'll be a kind of a mainstay of the bullpen. He had been pitched pretty well when he's been healthy. So like, Talent can come from anywhere. So you always have to be on the lookout to acquire certain uh, guys. And it's something. It's movement, right? We got a lot of excitement right before December 1st, and it's going to be quiet now for a couple of months. So fun to talk about it. Cubs making some moves. With uh, all the changes in the front office, it will be fun to see what what are the nuggets that they grab and turn into gold. And we know what Theo and Jed did initially. Obviously, we look back even on the Jake Arrieta as maybe that pinnacle moment where you go and you get a guy and – it ends up being one of the best pitchers in baseball. So it'll be fun to see with this new front office and with this pitching structure, as you're saying, Randall, who they find and turn into something special. And that's all part of the reason you follow a baseball team. There's moves like this that happen all the time. And some guys work out and others end up finding their own way out. Yeah. The majority aren't going to work out, but every once in a while, you're going to hit on one that is going to work out, work out a big way. So Connor Menez, 26-year-old, did a little backstory on him, 2016, a 14th round pick, 425th overall. He went to the Masters College. Can either of you name another major leaguer who went to the Masters College? Oh, boy, you've got me stumped here. I cannot name any major leaguers from Masters College. I did not click on that link on his BR page. I, uh, I had to look. Well, first of all, what I was really looking at was where is the Masters College? And uh, it's in California, and I was reading a little bit about the school. But the name that jumped out to me, former Florida Marlin Mark Redman, went oh. to the Masters College. Mark Redman. Yeah. There you go. Um, apparently, he also went to University of Oklahoma. So he got around a little bit. But I was looking at that. I thought that was neat. And these schools, any school can develop major league talent. That's something that's pretty cool about baseball. Yeah. You, you, you know, talent, it's kind of shocking where you'll see – 
talent comes from anywhere. As we uh, you talk about, you know, you, you, there's NAIA schools that have guys yeah. in the majors. You know, it's like, well, where are these guys? You know, all different junior colleges and stuff. So it's it's pretty crazy. And that's actually kind of a little hint to our uh, Jeremy's Ooh. trivia later today. Wow, okay. look at that! Look at that foreshadowing. Yeah, there's you there's know, whatever basket weaving junior college uh, g- that generated Kyle Farnsworth, who we discussed at length some weeks ago. So a major leaguer can come from anywhere. Oakton Community College yeah. has had some guys come through that baseball program. So, uh, yeah, you're right. That's the cool thing about baseball. Sometimes it just clicks for guys a little bit later, and then once they figure it out, they can end up having a pretty good career. Um, I do want to talk one thing major league related. This is Randall's favorite thing in the world. Unsubstantiated rumors that pop up on Twitter yes. about major league talent, right? His favorite thing in the whole world. Robert Murray from fan-sided with a little nugget earlier this week to get Cubs salivating, saying that uh, basically he could see the Cubs and Chris Bryant reuniting here. I thought Chris Bryant was going to go before the December 1st deadline. There was a lot of movement around him. Seattle was in the mix. There was a report that the Rockies apparently were pretty aggressive after KB. I'm surprised nothing happened before the cutoff there December 1st. Jeremy, you throw anything to this? I mean, do you see a scenario at all where Chris Bryant's back home next year? Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting because I never really gave much weight to uh, Chris Bryant coming back. I figured he was gone out of all the main guys they traded last year. I thought Chris Bryant was the least likely to come back. Not for any, you know, portion of like hating the Cubs or something or grievance with the, you know, I just thought, you know, he's going to be a free agent. He's going to get some big offers. You know, he's on his own for the first time. He's the type of guy who's going to want to take control of where he goes. So I thought, you know, I didn't think he'd be coming back, but it was interesting because he was on a podcast with Russell Dorsey, um, the Cubs beat writer for the Sun-Times. And Russ Dorsey actually was the first one to mention talking about, you know, the possibility of Brian coming back, just kind of throwing it out there, being like, you know, because they were actually saying Rizzo is like unlo- very unlikely to come back. And and Murray like jumped on that same thing like, hey, you know, I've actually been hearing this like from a source that would know this and especially knows the Cubs or Chicago being like, that's something that is a possibility. Like you, and he's like, I've been tracking this because if Bryant doesn't get the offers he wants necessarily, and it's like in that range where the Cubs would be comfortable with it, that's something they would do and they would be interested in. So I would love to see it. You know, I personally, I think right now, if we're going to make a major signing, I would kind of be on board the Carlos Correa train just because he's a better player. And I think he fits the Cubs better, but Chris Bryant is, I love him and he's a great player. And so anything to do to keep Chris Bryant, a Cubs uniform, I would be totally on board with. Zero, zero use for this. None. It's the sort of thing that I want to say this, obviously the fact that we're in a work stoppage right now is bad on any number of levels. And we'll get to those, but once you get past that, I kind of don't hate that there aren't rumors flying around just because we know that teams and players aren't supposed to, and in all likelihood probably aren't for the most part communicating right now. I kind of like that day in and day out. There aren't, this team is interested in this player. Well, wow. A team is interested in a good player. Go on. Tell me more with that out of the way. Um, this strikes me as one of those things that it's not implausible, but that doesn't actually make it feasible. I don't think Bryant holds any ill will towards the Cubs. I don't think Bryant holds any ill will towards anyone because I don't think he's capable of that. I don't think he has anything against the Cubs. I don't think he would not come back to the Cubs, but I, I think it's more likely that he's interested in, you know, exploring free agency, playing somewhere new. 
And part of, of course, his time with the Cubs was his teammates. Baez is gone. Rizzo is gone. Contreras is still here. But, you know, most of the other guys are gone. Would he want to come back to the Cubs and be part of this this short-term retool? So this very much strikes me as one of those things that it's not impossible. It's it's plausible in the sense that it's not implausible. But that doesn't necessarily make it realistic or particularly likely. But, you know, I think he's definitely interested in coming back if the money's right. Yeah, I would agree with that. Sure. You know, the comfort of, you know what Wrigley Field's like, you know what the travel's like, he's familiar with the ballparks and the division. I think there's a lot going for it, assuming the Cubs won't get one-upped by an organization who may give him an extra year or an extra couple of million dollars per year that is going to end up putting it over the top. I think the Cubs would be a very attractive place for him. And, hey, he won one World Series here. Come back for the next round that may be coming in the next five years. Sure. And again, that goes back to what I said just a second ago, is that it's not implausible. You can connect the dots here and say there's, there's plenty of reasons why he might want to come back to the Cubs. But the way I think of it, plausible does not necessarily equate to feasible. Just because there are some really good reasons why it could happen, none of those really add up to reasons why it would happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, well, I, I mean, I, to me, I always said plausible and feasible is like the same. But um, I think that uh, I agree with you, Ronan, in terms of the fact that I think, you know, to me, the money would obviously be the, his top uh, priority. And I think if the Cubs were to put a competitive offer out there, I think they would be a serious place for him to. Um, I've always thought that, like, you know, going on, like if the Cubs put together an offer that is basically, you know, top tier offer of what everybody else would, I would think that Chris would take that very seriously and want to, you know, stick around. Cause it's just easier. I'm mean, obviously now that he's been traded. It's a little different, but it'd be easier just to stick around Chicago. Cause that's where he's built his life for the yeah. last few years. But you know, now when there's other options out there, it's going to come down to that. I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's like he wouldn't want to play for the Cubs cause Javi and Rizzo aren't here. Um, but I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting. And I, I think he's going to take a long time to sign. I, I don't yeah. think he was going to be a guy that was going to sign real early. I've always thought he's very kind of deliberate and serious and, and he's going to want what he wants. And that's kind of how he was with the Cubs um, in terms of contract. You know, he says they didn't really talk to him much after 2017, but still like he's very deliberate. So I, I don't see him as like the type of guy where just wrap this up fast. I think he's going to be out there for a while. Uh, we remember Bryce Harper. Uh, signed not just late in the offseason, it was spring training by the time Bryce Harper signed in his free agent year. I could very much see Chris Bryant being a really late signing like that to the point where if we have spring training on time, teams are already at the facilities and he ends up uh, doing a press conference with cactuses or palm trees as the backdrop. That wouldn't surprise me at all to see Chris Bryant as a signing uh, with camps already underway in February or whenever it ends up being. And one other reason why I think he's going to take a while, not just because he's, I think there's going to be a gap in terms of what he thinks he should be getting and what he thinks he deserves to get and who he is as Chris Bryant, you know, former MVP, great player. And we all think he's a great player and how teams are going to evaluate him for, you know, the next five, six, seven years of his career. When like, there's like reporting out there that, you know, the giants, they had him and then they're like, okay, he's a good player and everything, but he's not really the type of guy we want to invest in the future because we don't think he's going to be productive at that level. And I think he's going to run into a lot of teams thinking kind of like that. And so I could foresee a big gap that's going to keep him out there for a while because he's not going to quite get what he wants. And I think that's what they're talking about with Murray and Dorsey being like, look, if there's that gap where he's and it coming down and there's a level where, you know, everybody's kind of coming to the same level that's lower than what he wants. And if the Cubs put a competitive offer there, then then that makes sense. 
And let's not forget who his agent is. That that adds yeah. a little extra wrinkle to it. it certainly yeah. doesn't make anything impossible. Just adds a little extra something to it. Well, Bryant, as you mentioned, tied to the Phillies. Kyle Schwarber, another name that's been tied to the Phillies. We'll see where those guys wrap up. But the reason why it's going to take so long is this lockout yeah. continues to go on here. Sides are far apart. The conversation has stalled. The expectation, we've mentioned this, it's going to be sometime in February, maybe March, hopefully not April, when this thing finally gets figured out. The expectations, nothing's really going to change here between now and the end of the year. So, you know, let me ask you guys, what do you think right now is the single biggest issue that you think they're the furthest apart on? Uh, I think they are furthest apart on arbitration and free agency. I think they are furthest apart on when players will be first eligible for arbitration, when players will be eligible for free agency, how many years will it take, how much service time do you need to accrue. I think that is the single biggest thing is the economic issues specifically pertaining to young, what we typically call controllable talent. I think that's the biggest issue right now. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's obviously a big issue. I think, I think, um, I think the revenue sharing is a big deal because the players want to, you know, I mean, they would love to get rid of revenue sharing, obviously, but they want a, a significant reduction uh, in that hundred million dollars, I believe. And the owners have said, we won't discuss that and we won't discuss anything until you take that off the table. So I think that's a really, because the owners are just like, we're not even like, if you make these demands, we won't even discuss with you. And to me, I mean, I, I think that's, kind of bs to be honest but to take that approach but i i think that is a significant factor in in them not being able to even really talk and i don't know it seemed like the owners were kind of eager for this lockout so yeah ian hap said on his his podcast the famed the compound podcast we should try and have him on our podcast at some point we can cross yeah. promote uh, he said the owners apparently didn't even come to those final meetings with a proposal for the players union and Ian Happ being the Cubs player representative on the union, uh, he would certainly be in a position to know that. So that's, I mean, maybe it's not surprising, but it's certainly not good. Ronan, you're an individual who's never short on opinions. What do you believe the two sides are furthest apart on? What issue do you think is dividing them the widest right now? Well, it's definitely money. Uh, and then where you go from there is, is, is the answer. Uh, I, I definitely think revenue sharing is a part of it. And what bothers me about that is, there should be incentive to try and win. And there's no incentive for that. And I don't know that the rich or the, you know, I mean, there's no poor owners, the uh, less rich, maybe owners. I don't think any of them have any incentive to make that the case. And that would really fix so much in the game, you know, make reward teams for trying to win reward teams for spending money. You could do it in a wide variety of ways, impacting the draft. Um, one thing that I would like, this doesn't, I guess, totally answer that question. But one other thing that I'd like to see, is the removal of losing draft picks if you go and sign players. Like, there shouldn't be barriers in the way that would incentivize a team to not spend money on major league talent. That's my answer. I and I think players want to get paid. And yeah. they have to wait so long to get paid that when you don't encourage owners to spend and win, players are getting screwed on that. I know that's hard for fans to recognize when you hear Scherzer getting massive deals and when you, you see Tatis getting massive deals, those players are the exception though. And there's a lot of good major league talent that's not treated right because the players have basically no say in this unless they're a star player and they hit free agency and a prime window of just a couple of years. 
Yeah, I and uh, oh. sorry, Jeremy. Stop, stop penalizing teams for wanting to spend. Stop penalizing the teams who are willing to spend, and stop providing cover for the teams who want to make it seem like they're willing to spend, but they then have all the cover they need to say, "Ah, oh, we don't want to get into the luxury tax. We don't want to get into the repeater tax. We don't want to lose our top draft pick." Stop providing those teams cover. Stop penalizing teams who do want to spend. Jeremy, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Please go. No, you're fine. Go for it. Um, uh, what was I gonna say? Uh, yeah, with the draft pick uh, compensation, actually, um, the MLB made, you know, kind of disingenuous, but they made a bit, uh, big hay about it because they did make an offer. Uh, one of their offers was, you know, to get rid of draft pick compensation completely and get rid of it. And they were saying, hey, we look, we're going to make this step. We're at, we're going to like for the first time in 40 years or whatever, however long it's been since they've had draft pick conversation, we're going to get rid of it. But then they also they had it tied to like, you know, lower luxury tax thresholds like and other things it was it was all tied and part up you know but they were trying to get credit for that and so rob manfred was out there saying it all so they have made that offer so maybe maybe somehow they can get that involved with not because the worst thing would to do in my opinion would be to somehow lower the luxury tax thresholds or the competitive balance tax as it's called um that would be horrible so i i they should be up and they should be up a lot more than the rates they go up now um so I, I i would think that anything you know maybe if they've already made that offer to get rid of free agent compensation there's a way to get that into while not remo- while lowering those thresholds it's a mess though yeah and it's a lot of money at stake here and it it's not i think the most uncomfortable thing is going to be that all of this has to play out through the press over the next two months and it's going to be things leaked and you're going to see, and I know Randall, you're probably going to get into this here in a minute, but you're going to see reporters that have certain ties with owners leaking certain narratives. And that's just not fun. What's more fun are free agents getting signed and us trying to come up with what the roster is going to look like on opening day, not when is the money going to get resolved. Ronan, I'm getting predictable in my old age. Clearly, that's exactly what I was going to say. I just think back to what a mess it was as the players and the and the league we're trying to agree on the return to play in summer of 2020. And I just remember what a mess that was, as you had certain reporters who were more than happy to parrot things or just say things that were and ended up being outright wrong and how that was played out publicly and what a mess that was. And that was just negotiating. How are we going to get back to playing? This is so much bigger. It's so much worse. And, uh, you know, I'm a little surprised it hasn't started playing out through the media yet. I don't know if they're, uh, if everyone's just kind of packed it in for the remaining three weeks of the calendar year, and that'll, they'll get back to that on January 1st or so. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, but when it does start happening, when you see certain guys starting, starting to publish what the union is saying and what the league are saying, that's when it's going to get not just bad, but annoying. Like, I don't want this played out through the press, discuss it amongst yourselves, leave us out of it and let us know when you have an agreement, we can start enjoying baseball again. Yeah, I think um, that is what's happening in terms of why you're not hearing anything now. I think, I think, you know, Christmas is coming up, you know, New Year's, the holidays. I, I think that there's kind of, you know, there's no expectation. I think it's gonna get done now. So I, I don't think there's really any. I, I think everything's on the back burner until after New Year's. I, I don't think there's gonna be any real talks. I don't think there's gonna be real proposals. I'm sure each group, each side is, you know, probably discussing amongst themselves, which is probably where most of the stuff. Uh, actually does get done in their own camps and they get together and present it to each other and talk and then bring everything back to each other. 
but I don't think there's any real interactions until, you know, January at the earliest. So I, I think this year is kind of a write off right now, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely hear something. I, I think there are some reporters that kind of even probably try to realize their own bias biases and do try to look at things like I, I, I think a guy like Ken Rosenthal, right. I think he realizes in the past that he's maybe been to one side on certain sides and has realized that. And, and, on the lookout other reporters i think you know they just repeat exactly what they say you know uh the lb.com a few weeks ago they put out an article that was like okay this is you know like pravda or whatever propaganda <laughs> that was basically like insane baseball run television and yeah. i should be clear ken rosenthal he's at the top of that list of reporters for me i don't think any reporter is completely objective i think they've all got their sources from various parties and they want to do their best to keep those sources. But I generally find Rosenthal's reporting to be mostly as even handed as you can get from a guy uh, with that kind of platform and a guy who works for that kind of employer. So Rosenthal is one A and then Jeff Passan is generally one B for me. Those two, I trust for the most part to not keep it perfect, but they're going to do their best. And then it, as far as the national guys, it tends to be a pretty, pretty st steep drop from there. Well, you know, I got to thinking about, so this is a fight between the players and the owners and a lot of hardcore baseball fans who think about the finances, I think find themselves. And I think the three of us lean more pro player Absolutely, of players and owners are fighting against each other. We're generally more often than not siding with the players or as advocates for the players. That's fair. Not, not to be confused with pro player stadium where nothing yeah. good happens. I think in terms of broader sports fans or baseball fans in general, I think most fans are the opposite. I think that they're naturally pro owner. And there's this narrative because of these major contracts that certain players get that, oh, the players are overpaid. Uh, people back in the day, baseball players used to have off-season jobs. All these things that you hear people say that, oh, these players make too much money to play a kid's game. How do the players win over that war of perception there because they're up against a wall. I was listening to an Apple news story the other day about the uh, lockout. And if you didn't know what was going on, you would have left that story going, wow, these players are getting $30 million contracts and they want more money. The non diehard fans, I don't think side with the players. How do they fix it? Absolutely. The players have a messaging issue. And we say that about a lot of different parties right now in a lot of different fields, but they do, they have a messaging issue and uh, you know, I think part of it is the players are going to need to work out some kind of unified PR strategy. And I, I, I do hate to bring kind of social media into this. I do hate to bring being terminally online into this, but something the players are doing is all of them across Twitter, they're taking their profile pictures and turning them into the, uh, the blank grayed out headshots that all the team sites are forced to use on their team website rosters right now because they don't have the players association license to use those images um but this is going to be very different from 1994 you have the internet involved now you have social media involved now players have an avenue to directly speak their piece to a lot of people and i don't want to say it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because interesting implies that it's going to be fun but it adds a very different dimension to it that was not the case during the last baseball work stoppage and we were we're going to have to see how that helps the players potentially get their message out a lot better and i don't want to make this an age thing i'm not saying all young people are pro player i'm not saying all older people are pro oh ownership here we go 
I'm just saying, I think it skews a little bit in that direction. I think people who have been watching the game for decades, they might be more inclined to think the players are making how much now? What, what are they complaining about? And I think people who are, um, maybe have a little different are younger and have a little different views economically right now they are much more pro labor which in this case is the player so again that's i don't want to generalize it's not 100 on either side but i think if you broke it down i think it would skew that way more so than not i, I well i think social media obviously is going to be a huge part of this i think for the players you know that, that's their best way of getting their messaging out is to take it directly to the fans themselves you know and, and nowadays you know fans are following players well, but it's it's gonna be a tough, uh, tough you know, mountain to climb. I I think that I think a big part of it is most, maybe not most, but a lot of people are fans of not really they're they're not fans of um, you know, the Yankees or the Dodgers. Obviously, those have huge fan bases, but um, the uh, Cubs could be one. And if you're just a casual fan of those pe- of other teams, not really maybe a diehard fan that's living in breathing necessarily about oh why are we not spending or something that you're thinking you know you just see these other teams run these massive payrolls and they're win they win a lot you know so you're 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 thinking that you know there has to be some sort of competitive balance without actually you know researching it and seeing that the major league baseball has been for a long time maybe the most competitively balanced major sport in america um, so it's, it's, I think part of the, and you have part of the problem is that there's this history of ownership, uh, and major league baseball itself, like denigrating its own sport for like 30, 40 years, more than that, where, you know, it started, well, I don't, I'm not going to say it started because this pretty much where I, I first started paying attention, but like under sea lake, you know, it was, oh, we have to contract teams. There's too many teams or, or you know, 94 strike, uh, things that happened in the eighties. Like it's always been like, everything's bad about baseball and you're hearing it from baseball itself. And I think that that really plays into it when you're hearing it from the actual decision makers about how awful everything is and how everything has to change. Then, you know, when other people are standing up and being like, no, this isn't true. It, you're, you're kind of biased towards what the actual people in charge of it are saying in my opinion, because you see them as the authority on it. MLB's flagship television booth, Joe Buck and John Smoltz. John Smoltz is on there for three, three and a half hours for every national broadcast talking about how much better the game once was when he played. So it's absolutely a message from the people who operate the game that everything is a problem and needs to be fixed. How many, how many times in his tenure as commissioner has Rob Manfred come up with a solution in search of a problem with things like pitch clocks and uh, uh, the limit on pitching changes and all that. Like I understand the games and can remain static forever, but it, at a lot of the time, it seems like Manfred and the owners have instituted these fixes to problems. Nobody was really complaining about. So, and that's, I guess that's what a, a CBA is, is that's when you hammer everything out and y- y- you try and get things on a level playing field for the next five years or whatever. So hopefully they do that at some point. Well, I get how easy it is for the average American, the average worker here to look at the, salary of the last guy in the bullpen and go that guy makes how much money this year to do that like oh i could do that you know fans like to think that way i don't know that those people have thought about revenue generation for the league we spent a lot of time this year talking about 2001 that magical cubs team major league baseball had about three and a half billion dollars in revenue in 2001 the last year before the pandemic 2019 it was nearly 11 billion dollars that is a substantial growth in the last 20 years. And think about how many major league teams have gotten publicly financed ballparks that have opened in the last 20 to 30 years. 
So there's a lot there that the owners have gotten. We know the owners have side businesses that they don't share that money with players. Although, how can you tell me the hotel across the street from Wrigley Field or Coors Field isn't a Cubs or Rockies property? Of course it is. It's there because of the team. I do think that money should be shared and given back to the players as well. They're entitled to it as much as anybody. Goodness, though, it's hard to get that across to a lot of people and for casual fans that just want to see their team win and maybe go to one or two games a year and have a couple of beers, they're going to generally think, oh, well, the owner bought the team. They own it. It's their money. I just wish more casual folks understood the player's perspective in this. Yeah, it's, it's hard to it's hard to get across what you just said in terms of, you know, Major League Baseball revenue has gone up a ton, but spending in terms of spending on payroll has not followed suit. And in some cases has gone down like the average player salary. I know the pandemic played into it has gone down over the last year, um, which is crazy. They put in onerous kind of, you know, draconian rules on, on spending in terms of like the competitive balance tax or what the level, like those levels got real low. I mean, they did not keep up with inflation. There are teams. If you want to go teams were spending more, a higher percentage of their revenues on players, 20 years ago, they're, they're they're like the Pittsburgh Pirates biggest contract in team history went to Jason Kendall, I believe, like in the early 2000s. Former Cub legend. Yeah. Teams were spending more. They were I, like they might not have had as much money back then, but they were spending a higher percentage. And now they've made more money and they're spending a lower percentage of it. And uh, it's kind of crazy. Like 20 years ago, players were making over 50 percent of, of league revenues. And I think this past year they made under forty percent. So yeah, I mean the pie is getting bigger, so you get those percentages you have to take into account as well are are larger. But still, like it's gone down, and I don't think people realize that when they when they see these things. And there's this always there's also this kind of like oh baseball is dying like from a sport like you know they don't have any ratings. You have to the TV ratings are down. First of all, it's a completely different era, but. Uh, all these things. So like they have to do things to make the sport better because nobody's going to, you know, in terms of competitive balance, I'm talking about of uh, monetarily the economy of the sport, but it's growing. The TV contracts get bigger every year. They dominate local television. Like most teams, their local, their local broadcasts are the top broadcasts in, in their region for primetime. Um, like the Cubs, certainly and the White Sox were probably last year. The number one uh, primetime was probably White Sox broadcast. Um, so like teams, dominate those spots so just because national broadcasters now it's become it's a more tribal game than it was Big 40 time. 50 years ago like when you had one game of the week or the world series everybody got to watch it but that's how every it is about everything in life like you know everything's down because you have so many other things to do you watch netflix you watch there's a hundred options 100 million options for you to watch so that's just how it is and so teams are doing fine every all the teams have money the players just want their fair share in terms of like, I'm not, you know, super I'm. And to me, it, it's like, it's a card. I believe in free market, free enterprise. So I like to see the owners being able to spend as much as they can and what they want to spend. It's kind of a cartel and I'm not a big fan of that. Randall, you a fan of the cartels? I'm not a big fan of the cartels. No, no, no uh, St. It's, St. Louis card cartels. It's just, it's, it is amazing when you think about how much money flows through the game and uh, what the owners have been able to pull off this this real scam that that I felt maybe it predated this, but just in terms of our fandom when I was getting into the game, this myth of the small market team, like somehow the Pirates don't have money to spend on players, or somehow Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is a small market. In what 
possible world is Tampa Bay a small market in the United States or Oakland, the Bay Area? There's, there's plenty of people in the greater Bay Area. It's a huge scam, and it's allowed these owners to get by with dirt cheap payrolls and still have fans saying, well, they're a small market team. You know, they can't compete with the mighty Yankees. They absolutely can compete with the Yankees if they just spend a little money. Yeah, I, I feel like that's all Bud Seligisms. Like, yeah. I mean, the eighties, the late eighties, the Oakland A's, they were earning yeah. probably into the next. Were like the number they had, like the highest payroll in baseball, and and those were expensive teams. They, they had star players. A lot. Of, I mean, you talk about small market teams. You talk about the Padres. The Padres, you know, an ownership change turned the Padres from like a poor team to a rich team, and they're in the same market. Um, all these teams have basically, you know, they have money. Um, so it's crazy. Like like you say, you look back in the nineties, look back at the eighties, like. The Yankees weren't always the number one payroll team. Like in the late eighties, they definitely were not the or much in the nineties. They were not. I remember when the Baltimore Orioles were basically spending as much as the Yankees were uh, under Peter Angelos, who unfortunately is kind of older now. And, but he seemed like he was the only guy to like vote against everybody in, in the 94 strike. He, he was the one owner who kind of stuck up for the players as a former labor lawyer. Um, he, it's just crazy to me that, you know, certain teams were like, well, we're in a small market. We we can't afford. Well, and if you really can't afford it, then you probably are able to sell it to it. it a lot of people are buying baseball teams, uh, these sports teams, and spending a lot of money on them. And it seems weird to me that they would be spending lots of money to own these teams if they weren't getting anything out of them. And it's one of the safest investments you can make. Buy a baseball team. Wait a couple of years, and you're going to have another billion dollars in your pocket. Maybe even a new ballpark to go with it. Um, lots more to get to with regards to the collective bargaining agreement. We'll have plenty of weeks to dive into this. Um, but I want to shift gears a little bit here. This is what the fans want here. I mean, we're talking all about these finances and things, and they're like, give me the Randall. I want the Randall. It's time for the Randall. This is a new segment. All week, Jeremy and I were pestering Randall. Come on, let us do it. Trust us. Follow us. And no, Randall you never agreed. You never said trust us because that would have been a giant <laughs> trust red us, flag. Randall. Trust that, me, have, Randall. that would have been a giant red flag. Here we go. This is Randall's collective bargaining disagreement. And the idea that we had here, Jeremy and I have a couple of statements, opinions, comments. They may not even be our opinion, just opinions that are out there in the world. We're going to share them and give Randall a chance to collectively disagree with it. And we'll be pleasantly surprised if maybe you agree with some of the things that we say. Can, I, I, collectiv- say this also. can I collectively disagree if there's only one of me? It, like, isn't that singularly oh, yes. rather than collectively? For some of these, Randall, you're going to collectively disagree with some of the things that we have to say. I wrote down a couple ahead of time. I think Jeremy got a couple down. We didn't share them, so this is new to all of us. A couple more are going to come in the moment. But, Jeremy, I want you to bat lead off here. Give us our inaugural Randall's Collective Bargaining Disagreement Statement. All right, Randall, you don't have to worry too much with this. Uh, the Chicago, it's just going to be a statement. A statement. Uh, the Chicago Cubs will have an opening day payroll next year of greater than $150 million. Uh, I am going to disagree with that collectively, singularly, however you prefer. I'm going to disagree with that. Yeah. Where do you think it's coming into? I think they will come in in the 170 to 180 range. Well, that's over $150 million. You're right. I guess I'm collectively agreeing with that. You're right. So you're okay, wow. with the statements. I'm collectively well, agreeing with okay. that. Singularly, collectively. I agreeing. think they're at like 100 ish now. I'm not sure. So you're you're expecting some more, a lot of spending coming. I think so. All right. All right. All right. I hope so. I hope you're I hope right so with too. that. You're going to disagree with this, Randall. I and I'm looking forward to this one. 
retired Major League Baseball umpire Joe West should be the sole arbiter that resolves the collective bargaining agreement. Christ, is there an option bigger than disagree? <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't possibly collectively or singularly disagree with that more. Joe West can go arbitrate his own ass. I, I, I care. <laughs> He's done. He's gone. I don't have to worry about him anymore. I like that. That's an opinion or a thought a statement that's out there. That's that's going out there that people are like, hey, Joe West. No, it, needs isn't. To be- no, it isn't, Ronan. You made that up entirely whole cloth. You may even have made it up on the spot right now. Nobody is thinking that out there. Oh, no, I, I think this is compelling because and here's for, a question. For pity's sake, if you are thinking that out there, what is wrong with you? You know, Joe West hates the players. Joe West loves the game of baseball. I don't doubt that at all. I do think that Joe West loves the game and sport of baseball. Where would Joe West fall? Would he end up being more pro owner or pro player in terms of the CBA? I don't know where he would fall. I know I wouldn't want to be in the way of wherever he does. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Just saying. Oh, he would absolutely be more pro owner. He would he would be pro league. The league pays his salary, I believe. He would be pro league, he'd be pro owner. He's hey, had his fights. Yeah, he's had his fights. The, the umpires have their own union, and he was ahead of the umpires union. So he might have some union solidarity. That's the thing. He's fought that, he's fought those owners before. So that makes me think that that's actually a pretty interesting question if Joe West was to resolve this, but I didn't think you'd be for that. Uh, What else do you got, Jeremy? Yeah, so I'm going to ask, I'm going to say Randall to Randall, the Chicago Cubs will play 162 regular season games next year. And I'm not talking about weather, weather delays. I'm talking about the lockout. I collectively agree with that. I do think that when push comes to shove and rubber meets the road and whatever other euphemisms you want to use. I do think they will get this done before regular season games end up being at stake. I can't speak for spring training, but I do think we will get this done in time to one way or another, get 162 regular season schedule out of it. All right. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I think so too. I I feel like it's going to happen. I don't, I think early February, I think we're going to get the things done maybe into late February, but I feel like February is the month. March 1 sounds okay. Still enough time for spring training. Still enough time to be ready for opening day. Um, here's one for you, Randall. What's the name of the park? It's, is it American Family Insurance Park now in Milwaukee? The old oh, I, got, park. I got names for it, but uh, I believe it is American Family Insurance Field. Field. Okay. Yeah, American Family Field, whatever. Well, all that was a waste of time because I'm going to call it Miller Park again. Sure. Miller Park <laughs> provides the optimal baseball experience in the National League Central. Uh, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with that. By the way, it is American Family Field. There Mm -hmm. is no insurance in the name. Um, No, I'm going to have to collectively disagree with that. I don't know that I've ever had that great of an experience up at the former Miller Park and what is currently American Family Field or AF, if you want to abbreviate it, um, which makes sense. You could (laughs) pop pop another letter in there after the A and it would work just as well. Um, I don't, I don't think it's designed well. I think it's the one egress point in the parking lot for 10,000 vehicles or more makes it not particularly fun to get out of. And I've never seen a Cubs win there ever. I believe I'm own three wow. lifetime. My most recent game there is Chris Bryant's first major league home run way back in 2015, uh, a blowout that got so out of hand that David Ross had to pitch. Uh, so I'm going to collectively disagree with your statement, Ronan, American family field, Miller field, the, Bernie's hovel, whatever you want to call it, does not provide the optical optimal fan experience in Major League Baseball. All right, I got one here. The greatest center fielder in National League Central history is Jim Edmonds. Oh, uh, you know, I'm going to have to singularly disagree with that. Uh, his one half season as a Cub didn't particularly mellow him in my mind. 
And I'll always think of him more so as a, a showboating cardinal who dove, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. So I'm going to have to singularly disagree with that. Somebody might be able to objectively, objectively tell me that by defensive metrics and whatever, he's one of the best and that's great and all, but you ask me and not them. And so there's my answer. And I'll central only since 1995. So I stand by it. Corey yep. Patterson, man. This is Corey Patterson erasure. Uh, Dexter Fowler. Exactly. This is Dexter Fowler erasure. So Randall, here's one for you. Randall J. Sanders will step foot in Bush Stadium. I was thinking uh, the same thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to disagree with that, certainly in the short term. I don't know that I have any real desire to travel due to the current desire of the world right now and driving down there. You've done it. It's it's quite a drive, and I've spent more than enough time driving in the last calendar year that I don't know that I'm especially inclined to take any uh, road trips in the near future. And then even with all that out of the way, I don't know that I have any real desire to uh, go down there and experience and marinate in the experience. I would go to Pittsburgh. I would love to see a game at PNC if travel were an issue. Uh, Yeah, right. Road trip. But uh, there's just nothing about Bush Stadium or St. Louis that makes me want to go visit. All right. I got one. Randall J. Sanders will heckle an umpire in 2022 oh that's that's 100 agreement why would i why would i disagree with that like i don't even, know even saying. if they don't play a season in 2022 well, i mean i mean live time. i don't mean on tv or on oh, Twitter. No, i mean I live i completely understand what you mean even if they don't play a season and, and i don't and i don't necessarily mean major league baseball i could be the american association at a chicago dogs game that's what i'm that's what i'm saying i will go find an umpire <laughs> and i will take out my pent-up frustration I'll go out to a chicago dogs game and i'll i'll sit by the uh, the first base i'll sit by first base hey um you completely blew that call this poor umpire in an independent league game's got some some loud mouth shouting at him from the front row no no i i will uh agree with that i will absolutely find a way to heckle an umpire in 2022 whether i have to go to wrigley field rosemont or further than that you know good stuff randall you got anything else there jeremy in the arsenal anything that's coming to mind i don't i i you know i i just was i was just picturing randall at the little league game heckling an umpire because there's no baseball being played and he had to go find uh, a 12 year old did an eight-year-old game to, or something had to go fill the quota <laughs> had to, somehow had to get it out somehow it'll be very satisfying in the year of the randall there 2022 uh i've got, got to be honest with you guys i've had a week here busy long hours uh pretty tired coming into this maybe i sound tired throughout this podcast too so i asked jeremy or i think jeremy volunteered rather i'm yeah. not even telling the story correctly jeremy volunteered to run trivia this week he had some time to get some questions together and you know he was sending us some voice memos earlier today and i was replying to them randall of course abstained from that yeah i did but he gave us a couple of clues some ominous clues randall about this trivia question he talked about the word tide came up uh during your cryptic voice memos because i asked what a theme was i said what's the theme for the trivia oh um so i'm eager to see where this goes but jeremy take it away and We'll see how we do today, Randall. Before we start real quick, I just want to say only the two of you could record an hour and a half podcast with me, but complain that I didn't respond to your voice memos vocally earlier in the day. Like, what are well, we doing right true. now? Oh, it's, it's, one, it's one very long voice hey, memo. Peyton, Jeremy, take it away. Peyton Manning was on the Manning broadcast and he was complaining to Eli. He was talking about his voice memos he sends. So we're you're in solidarity Peyton, there. You're not Peyton Manning. Sorry. Uh-huh. So if you know me, you know, uh, for my trivia, my trivia is going to be College World Series themed. Oh, it's wow. actually going to be tied to the Cubs. All right. So it's going to be all college world series. It's, gonna, it's all going to be guys you know, but it's going to be tough. So don't, don't, um, well, I, you should know at, at the very least. So my first question is 
Okay. So is uh this player who played for the Cubs, he holds the record for the most in, in his career. It's so it's career um most total bases in the College World Series. So career, so multiple College World Series. He has the career record for most total bases. And I'll give hints along the way if you guys can't figure it out. Um, I'll give a certain hint. He played in the 2001, the 2002, and the 2003 College World Series. This is a good question, Jeremy. So this is a former Cub. It's a former Cub. He played in three Collegiate World Series, a 102, and he holds the College World Series record for total bases in a College World Series career. Yes. That's a solid so question. To only start. including the College World Series games. Only including the College World Series game. I get it. That's, mm-hmm. that's a solid question to start, Jeremy. That is a good start. So we're thinking a guy who was in college, 01, 02, 03. So he would have been drafted. He would have been drafted probably after the 03 Mm -hmm. uh, College World Series. So we're figuring a guy who probably made it to the the major leagues in 06, 07, somewhere in there. Um, Boy, this is is tough. Ronan, you got any thoughts? Well, I'm trying to think of guys that played for good college schools, schools that always have deep runs. and then I'm thinking of, yeah, guys around 07, 08. Jeremy's, Jeremy's nodding. Like, well, you're on the right track. It's, so you know, here's a guy who played for a good historic baseball program, but he's not the answer. I just wanted to insert this name because we're all going to feel better about it. Coy Hill. Yeah, we will all feel better about it. We all feel better if we get Coy Hill in there. Nothing uh, better than State, mentioning Coy Hill. I'm remembering correct. A Wichita yeah. State good, shot. Good program. Good program. Yeah. Ooh. All right, Jeremy, let's take one of those hints because okay. it's a good question. So he was drafted by the Cubs. He f- debuted in 2007 and played. And then he he also played on in 09 and 2010 for the Cubs before being traded. I'm going to guess Casey McGee. That is not the correct answer. I'm okay. sorry. Oh, wow. Wow. I wanted that to be the case, Randall. Yep. I have another guess, but I'll let Ronan go next. I'm thinking... Um... You said he made his debut in 07. And then back in 09 and 10. Did not play for the 08 Cubs. But did not play for the 08 Cubs. I don't know. I'm going to go somewhere. I don't know. Jeremy. Michael Hoff Power. Nope. Jeremy, is this guy currently in like a front office for a major yes. league team? He oh, is boy. Sam Fold. It. Fold. It is Sam, Sam Fold. Fold. Wow. He holds the record for, at Stanford with 43 total bases that's impressive good for him and i'm it's gonna be i'm gonna keep going on so sam fold right he at the time he had the record for the most hits uh in college series for career uh now he's currently third uh chris dustin ackley and christian walker have overtaken him but the guy he took the record away from also played a long time for for the cubs was a Hmm. former cub he played from in the 1973 the 74 and 75 college world series. So we're going back a little ways. Wow. This, this might be where you lose me. He was perhaps, but he was involved with the Cubs in the 2010s. So in a way you would know him. Interesting. So, so Interesting. do you have any guesses for the, and if you want, I can give a school as you, as a hint as well. If that yeah, helps, give me, but. give me a school. Give so the school is the university of Texas. School Texas. Is the university of Texas. This isn't Rudy Jaramillo, is it? It's not Rudy Jaramillo. Okay. Pre-Augie, Texas. Way pre-Augie, Texas. Yeah. Pre-Augie, Texas. Ooh, wait. Is this Keith Moreland? Randall. It is Keith Moreland. Awesome, Randall. He, uh, right. he 
Sam Fold took the the record for most hits in the College World Series away from Keith Moreland. Now, this wow. is one I don't think you'll quite get, but we'll see. Who knows? The player who holds the record, most career record, for most stolen bases in a College World Series played for the Cubs, and he played in the 84 and 85 College World Series. I, I'm going to give you the hint because I, he played for the Cubs. He was drafted by the Cubs, and he played for the Cubs from 1988 to 1992. Ronan, this is right in your wheelhouse, is early 90 Cubs teams. Yes, when I was two. Yeah, right in your wheelhouse. Well, I mean, it's a name you'll probably know. Yeah. I don't know if Randall would get it, but I think you would get it. I mean, I don't know if you'll get it, but you'll know the name. 88 to 92. He played for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Is this, I'm going to, I'm going to toss a name out there. I don't think it's correct. Bob Dernier? No. Okay. This guy had five career home runs. Okay. No, so that tells you the thinking, type of player he was. Yeah. Yeah. Guys who could Speedy run guy. A little bit. Yeah. He's kind of a slap hitter. Kind of a slap hitter. Uh, the answer is not Juan Pierre. I know that. I much. mean, he, 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 the record is still in bases. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't have an answer to this one. I think I may have used up all my trivia mojo pulling Keith Moreland out of nowhere. His last year on the Cubs in 1992, he played 139 games. 139 games. Yeah, and he had a OPS plus of 73. <laughs> <laughs> Career OPS of 590 in the majors. All right. You got another hint for us? Because I think we're both coming up empty on this one. Uh, let me try to think. I think he was – I want to say he was like a coach recently with the Cubs, but I don't know, or working in their minor no. league system, but I don't, I don't know if he was. I don't, I don't know if that's true, actually. Um, I don't think you'll get this one. So if you're, right. you're out, you know, I, I, the, the name that was in my head was Dwight Smith, but I think he was 89. Nah, it's not Dwight Smith. All right. Jeremy, oh, well, it? yeah, it's Doug DeSenjo. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. Wouldn't have had that. You are All correct. Right. He was, he was definitely a coach somewhere in the Cubs system yeah. recently. So and you I got are correct there. One final one. This one is going to be a longer one. This will be, right, be a big one. one. So in the year 2010 was the last year at Johnny Rosenblatt Stadium. And then Tom Ricketts had his majesty of TD Ameritrade Park that they still play at this year. So they they announced a Legends team uh, from 1947 to 2009. So of the best, you know, the greatest College World Series players. There are six, six former Cubs on the team. Uh, just off the top back. And some of them are pretty well-known players. A lot of them are pretty, like Barry Bonds is on this team. Robin Ventura is on this team. So a lot of these guys are great players. Dave Winfield, do you have any guesses as to who any of these? And I'm going to give you a clue. None of the guys we previously mentioned are on the team. Okay. Well, that's any guesses. Possible. That's I know. Good. Any guesses to any Sam of the. Sam Fold getting a shaft. Yeah. Sam Fold um, to any of the six is, players. Is and I'll give hits more. Routine flies I don't know. That is, made is the Legends shaft? team. Is Mark Pryor on this team? Maybe. Mark Pryor is not on the team. Mark no. Pryor is not. This is Mark Pryor erasure. Was there another Mark? I mean, there's not another Cubs mark. No. Not another Cubs mark. There's Mark Katze. <laughs> <laughs> I can start giving some hints if you want. Yes, please sure. do. So one that I think you all know, he played for, he won two World Cultural Series, played for Oregon State from 2005 Darwin to 2007. Barney. Darwin Barney. Darwin Barney. Great college. Great college World Series players. Hey, yeah. And not Sam Fold. <laughs> not Sam Fold. So another guy played at LSU in 1993 94 and he was a cub in the early 2000s uh that's too early for Terry Owen Fontenot it's isn't not it? Terry Owen Fontenot not Terry but Owen he, Fontenot. that is kind of right 
Get he was close. a middle infielder. Uh, and I believe he currently is an announcer for like the SEC network. Calling baseball. Baseball? Games. Yeah. Oh. Um, oh, wait. Todd Walker. Todd Walker. Good Todd Walker out of LSU. Correct. Out of LSU. So another player. Uh, went to only playing one college world series, went to Georgia Tech 1994, and he was a very high profile trade. Nomar. The Cub Nomar, Nomar. is the Ooh. correct answer. As soon as he said Georgia Tech, it, it dawned on me. All right, so I'm gonna keep giving Randall knows the colleges. Yeah, he uh, does. So here's a guy who was not who made the majority of his career as a manager, I mean, in terms of his fame, so not as much as a player. And he only briefly played for the Cubs, but he played at Arizona in the 79 and 1980 college world series. Ooh, that's a, and that's he's a good most one. famous for being a manager, more famous for being a manager than a player. More okay, so, so more famous for being a he's manager. He's actually currently a manager. Okay, he's currently managing. Uh, but so, but he did play for the Cubs. He played for, briefly like, for the Cubs. Briefly for the Cubs. More famous as a manager, currently managing. Dang, and he played for Arizona. That's a real good one, Jeremy. I feel like I should know this. Arizona, strong collegiate program, currently managing. There's only, only Cur- so many yeah. of those. Jeremy, tell me what division is he currently managing in? I'll tell you what you want me to tell you what league he's managing in. Yeah, tell me, tell me what league yeah. he's managing in. He's currently managing the American League. All right, so he's managing in the American League, and all right, so he's managing the American League. Just run down the teams here, guys who I know. He's a very well known manager. Very well known manager. Okay, um, it's not uh, it's not Scott Service, is it? No. Okay, not Scott Service. I pronounced it right, Ronan. You said he briefly played for the Cubs? Briefly played for the Cubs in the 1980s. Okay. He only appeared there for the Cubs in one season. Okay. 1986, I believe. Ooh. Ooh. So it's American League manager. So I'm trying to run down the managers here. It's uh, it's not Terry Francona, is it? It is Terry Francona. Randall getting them all. He's nailing them, Randall. All right, so there's another guy. So the last two actually went to the University of Texas. One of them played in the 1969 and 1970 college stars, and I think that'll be the more difficult guy for you guys to get. Yeah, just a bit. Um, <laughs> and the other one played in the 1992 and 1993 college world series, and he was drafted by the other one was. I mean, they were both actually drafted by the Cubs and developed by the Cubs. The other one was drafted by the Cubs and developed by Cubs and he was in the nineties. And then, yeah. So mostly in the nineties. All right. One so is a pitcher our... and the other one was listed as a DH. Okay. DH. So we've got ourselves a nineties. I think Cub. the DH will be easier for you. Uh, oof. So, but think nineties Cubs. who went to Texas. If you know who that is. Yeah. I, I don't. And this guy was kind of a bust. He was a high profile draft pick. Brooks Kieschnick. That is correct. Wow. Hey, wow. Look how at about that? In. Coming in at the end. And the like, other one actually threw a no hitter as a Cub. Uh, in the seventies, that's uh, is that Bruce? No, no, Bruce Tremings, the umpire. Um, is that Milt Pappas? It is not Milt Pappas. All right. Oh. Um. Oh, this I, this one's one. gonna be. I don't know if you guys will get yeah, this, but this he is was the a, elusive one. He he was. I believe he was a pitching coach for a long time. I want to say with the Astros. Um. He. Uh. Let me think. He threw a no hitter with the Cubs. He made most most of his famous career, I think, was was with the Dodgers. Um, Jeremy, you may just have to pull the bandaid off yeah, this one. I might just have to pull the, the uh, answer to this guy is uh, Bert Hooten. Bert Hooten, you know, I had that I had that name in my head, 
I should have, I should have spat it out when I did. Jeremy, that's a real good set of trivia, making it, you know, right in your wheelhouse there, collegiate world series team. That's a real good set of trivia questions. So out of, there was not that many guys. There was only, uh, here's a like question. For you, 15 Jeremy. guys and six of them ended up playing for the Cubs. And one of them was Will Clark, who we all hate. <laughs> How many of those would you have gotten? Had you not prepared it? You think, um, if you were giving me the college in the years, I, I would get them. If I just had a guess off the time, I had like great college players. I mean, Darwin Barney, I knew was because he was always there in the college world series. Great player. Um, yeah, I think I, I don't know if you give me the college in the years, I think I would know him. Hmm. Well, uh, the Van Cona one, I think I might not have gotten, but uh, I probably would have gotten Kishnick, I probably would have gotten Walker and Garcia Parra and Barney. Um, I'm not sure about Bert Hooten. Although I didn't know he threw a no hitter for the Cubs. Like I always remember that. Well, you know, I'm volunteering you, Randall. You're going to host the next trivia. All right. I want it themed. Next and I want it trivia. Tasty. It is. And what? We'll what? what was it? What was the thing you want? He wants it tasty. Themed you... and tasty. Themed and tasty. Are you asking me for trivia? Or are you trying to go to like a specialty restaurant? Fried chicken. Fried chicken. That's right. all not, I want. Not, fried not chicken, chicken tenders. Fried chicken. No, 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 no. I'm an adult now. You want some Harold's. I'm past the chicken tenders. I'm a fried chicken man, and I there is nothing better. There is nothing better than a perfectly cooked piece of fried chicken. I agree. It's exceptional, and uh, it's just exceptional. And I'll go one step further. Randall, would you agree with this statement? The best single item that you can get at any fast food restaurant is a spicy chicken sandwich. I believe I would agree with that. I believe I would agree with that. You can you can do real well with the spicy chicken. Uh, you can do real well with the spicy chicken at most places. Some places, not so much. Some places better than others, but you can't usually go wrong with that. So the question then becomes, if spicy chicken is the sandwich, what is the spot? Because we got the chicken wars going. And where are we going? Are we going to Popeye's? Are we going to McDonald's? Are we going to Chick-fil-A? Are we going... What are we doing, Wendy's? Who's got the the spicy chicken sandwich? I go, I go Wendy's or I go McDonald's personally. Mm, wow, mm. I definitely disagree. Wendy's is okay. Do you agree? Do you those... do you disagree collectively, Ronan? Oh, big time! I mean, I, if you if you've not had a spicy chicken sandwich at Chick Fil A, you have failed. You're wrong. Now that's in terms of like the fast food restaurants. Yeah. I think Chick-fil-A, that hot sandwich, you get some that buffalo sauce with it, you get the um pepper jack cheese. That's how you have yourself a spicy chicken sandwich. But what you really gotta find are those local spots and wherever you're at, whatever town you're at, and they're opening up a new one just down the street here from us, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field. So I'm very, very excited to see when this thing opens to get a sense of is this a real chicken sandwich? Or have you thoroughly disappointed me? And I want them to blow me away. <laughs> Absolutely. Go find your local spots. Find your mom and pop sandwich shop. Get yourself a spicy chicken there. Support small local businesses. But I, I get I can get down with a Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich from time to time. That's not bad. I, I When we get back out to Denver, if it's good, you're going to have to take me out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Randall, let's talk a little bit about Denver. I had an event here on Sunday. An event. An event, and I wanted you to be a part of that event. I appreciate that. Do you know why I wanted you to be a part of that event? Gee, is it the the name of the meteorological event that you experienced? Could that be it? We had a haboob. Yeah. Roll on into Denver, Jeremy. Do you know what that is? A haboob. I'm not extremely familiar with a haboob. I do. I know what a, I know what that is. 
our mad scientist. Randall, what's a haboob? Well, he's all over the haboobs. It's, it's a dust storm, basically. It's a massive yeah. dust storm that brings in with the wind and the temperature drops. Uh, yeah, I've heard about them in the, the southwest part of the country. I've, I've seen video. I've heard about them before. It was out of control. And we put some footage up on uh, the Behind the Yellow Line Twitter account, BTYL Podcast. You can see the footage of basically this massive dust cloud pouring into Denver on Sunday. I'm sitting here in the office. I'm looking outside. Patio doors open. It's 58 degrees. The sun is shining. A typical Denver this time of the year, sunny, dry. And all of a sudden, the, the patio door slams open. And I look outside and it looked sepia tone. Like it just looked like everything outside was brown and orange. And I was like, what the hell is possibly going on out there? Well, that's ominous. We went from 58 degrees to 30 degrees in Denver within 30 minutes. Wind gusts jumped from 10 to 50 miles per hour. And all that dust and dirt and crap out in eastern Colorado got picked up and just chucked right into the city. It was wild. Absolutely wild. And there are places in the Southwest that get them. Albuquerque gets them from time to time. That's more of where you think with this. It's relatively rare to have it hit downtown Denver. We got smoked, Jeremy, on Sunday. It was pretty crazy. Absolutely crazy. And to see people out walking their dogs, riding their bikes, it was that would have been painful and uncomfortable to be out in that because it's dirt, debris, and sand up in the air flying around at 50 miles per hour. Well, that sounds like some bad air quality. But uh, it sounds like, you know, those old, uh, you know, like you were some Okies or something making your way to California because of the Dust Bowl. Uh, those old, uh, you know, videos or whatever, you know, Grapes of Wrath type stuff, John Steinbeck. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, that that sounds horrible. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Awesome footage out there. Hop on Twitter, take a look at it. We got to talk to Cubs weather, see what uh, Alexander's thinking about it. Just pretty, pretty wild to see that happen. Here's what's also wild. We've not had snow in Denver since April 21st. That's since the crazy. longest on record since the 1800s. Denver's not had a snowfall. Not good, man. That that's going to be a bad summer if we don't get snow here soon. In Chicago under a similar snow drought. We're we're our summer our summer conditions aren't nearly as dependent upon snow as yours are, but Chicago is similarly under a snow drought. Not only are we under a snow drought, uh, we're potentially heading for record high temperatures here next week. We could have temperatures in the 60s next Wednesday, yeah. which apparently is not all that uncommon. Uh, according to Tom Skilling, most Decembers produce at least one 60 degree day. It just doesn't feel right, though. It feels ominous. Feels like something's wrong. Feels like something's off. I don't like it. It's been cold the last couple of days, but uh, to be honest, I'm kind of, you know, give me a give me, I don't know about 60, but give me some high 40s some 50s. I, I, I don't I don't it's... need I don't need snow. It is December 9th. We we should have measurable snowfall. This there was a couple years ago. I feel like there was no snow until like January or, or February. I mean, that was that was last year. We, that was we last made, year? We, I mean, that was last year. We made up a huge snow deficit in the span of like three yeah. weeks. So it, it's it's you know, it, it, it's a, a an annual number. It's not a it's not a number like that. But uh, yeah, I don't like it. I need I need cold and snow at this do point you, of the year. Do you go sledding? Do you make snow angels? Are you playing no, I just, snowmen? I like look. I like looking at snow. I'm what I like to call a snow turkey. Turkeys are animals who I don't know if this is you know an old wives' tale or something that they actually do. But turkeys will look up during a rainstorm and they will do so with their mouth open, kind of like St. Louis fans, uh, until the their mouths filled with water and they find themselves in a bit of a spot. I am a snow turkey. I will just stand there and I will look at the snow out my window, swirling under the streetlights, you know, covering the cars. I will stand there at the window 
looking at the snow until like an hour has gone by. And I realized I could have spent that hour doing something else. But I am a I am a snow turkey. I'm an admitted snow turkey. I didn't know you were a turkey, Randall. I, well, you know, Jeremy, know. You've, you've called me a cow before. So that's like a couple <laughs> different animals. I've been. Randall, I think of you more as a nice, like a nice ham. A nice winter ham glazed and ready to <laughs> yeah. go here. And Randall, also, I will go sledding with you anytime. Let's just get uh, no, no, Ronan. I'm not going to the top of the hill with you. It was. Well, he's gonna, he'll being, push you down the hill. Yeah, that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to push me down well, the that's hill. The whole sled, point. Or, sled or no sled. Take well, we you, got, he's going to take me to some of those sledding hills uh, in the the north north and east northeast northwest part of Glenview. They're all rocks underneath. And he's push it down push the mountain down the in Denver. That's, that's exactly what he's going to do. Real hills here. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's going to do. Why would I? Why would I trust him to do that? All right, let's keep this simple here as we bring this home. One word. How do we feel right now about the Chicago Bears? Bad. <laughs> yeah. C- cracked ribs. It's one word. There's no space in there. Cracked ribs. God awful. <laughs> Jeremy, you were out there Sunday. That yeah, I was out miserable. there. Well, lucky for me, my seats are underneath um, an overhang, kind of, kind of at the edge of an overhang. And I we're in the club, so we always have club access. So if we want, we can go back. Not that I go back during the game. I'm always out there. But um, so it's not as bad as it is for other people. I, I wasn't stuck out there trying to get my, uh, you know, um, the uh, getting what, what was that the video of, of that woman struggling trying to get her, her uh, poncho, poncho on? Yeah. The poncho. There we go. I couldn't. I couldn't blank down that word there. Thank you, your, Randall. Your poncho blew away from you, Jeremy. Yeah. Well, I. Yeah. But uh, so it, I was fine out there. I was not fine watching Bears football. That team is not very good. A uh, lot of problems all over the field. It's. It's just. It's just not good. It's bad, as I said. I mean, you know, now Dalton's out with a hand, and Justin Fields is healthy. So we'll see what goes on when we go to Green Bay. They might do it. Oh, I want to believe. I want to believe too. Up there. I want. I want to go Fox Mulder. I want to believe. Hey, I want to believe. They, be the fun. Bears, have never any. The majority of the Bears' success against the Green Bay Packers, for some weird reason, has occurred at Lambeau Field. They've been way more successful at Lambeau than they have been at Soldier the last 10, 15, 20 years or so. Uh, 15, 20 years of coaches telling them if they win, they're allowed to leave. <laughs> God, uh, let's go. Let's go with this on a lighter note. One word: Chicago Bulls. How are we Outbreak. feeling? Outbreak. I I knew exactly where you're going with that, Jeremy. Pretty, did I see he played 40 minutes the other night? Yeah, he's starting wow. now because of all yeah. the, the COVID. <laughs> okay. Well, the Bulls keep winning, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, I did lie. There was one other thing that I did want to touch base on before we left. This is podcast number 47. Got a World Series hero. That wore 47. Randall, who's your favorite 47 of all time? Uh, you know, with no disrespect to Randy Rosario, Hisanori Takahashi, Chad Fox, Scott Ayer, and Blake Lally, who apparently existed. You can't not go Miguel Montero here. Miggy, we are good. Miggy, who had two hits and 10 at-bats in the 2016 postseason. One of those hits was, of course, his game one NLCS Grand Slam. And the other hit was the game-winning RBI single in game seven of the world series. That is called making the most of your opportunities right there. Miguel Montero, wherever you are, we hope you're well, we are good. After he struggled most of that year, he had the two biggest hits pretty much. of the That's season. right. And what did, what did Miguel Montero say the morning after the Cubs won the world series? He said, does anybody remember my regular season batting average? Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't he also have the game winning Homer that won the division? He did, as a matter of fact. Now, they had won the division the night before off the field, but he did walk that game off 
the Friday afternoon, and he made that celebration that much better. And yeah. an enduring image of Ryan Braun standing there in left field, eyes bugging out, a mouth gaping open, flies gathering around it as he watched that ball sail into the left field stands. I had a friend that used to say that Miguel Montero was the slowest player to first base on a hit and the fastest player to first base on a walk. Because when you get walked, he just like dropped his stuff and just hustled ah, at first. But he was so slow. Miggy, no Miggy was fun. Yeah. And Ronan, while we're in the numbers game, I want to toss this in here. Clint Frazier, who we discussed earlier in the show, he also yeah. announced in the spirit of Marcus Stroman, his jersey number with the Cubs, he will be keeping his 77 that he wore with the Yankees. And that will make him, assuming he gets into a regular season game wearing that number, the first Cubs player to wear number 77 in the long history of this franchise. Eric Hinsky wore it in his time as a coach, but Clint Frazier slated to become the first player to wear number 77 in a Cubs uniform. So and he also I'm, broke some news. He he did. He did break some news. He said there's uh, a number seven taken, and we got to find out who that number seven that's is. That's right. Ronan, you think it's Jan Gomes. He has history yeah. with that number. I'm inclined to believe that. I'm assuming Clint Frazier wasn't referring to Jose Lobaton. Uh, well, but yeah, not, I'm... Yeah. I'm yeah, I'm all for this trend of players announcing their jersey numbers uh, right there on social media for all of us to see because it makes uh, it makes certain things a whole lot easier and a whole lot more fun. And it's weird. The weird thing about the Jan Gomes is that he's listed on the roster as wearing number ten, which yeah, obviously a Cub is not wearing that. number ten unless 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 Ron Santos like they gave permission to wear number 10 or something. That seems kind of weird. Yeah. He's on the roster as number 10. Right. And, and this is something I've learned from years of watching these rosters. I think a lot of the times uh, in the, the team website infrastructure a player is just kind of ported from one roster to another uh, maintaining his Jersey number from his previous team. And right now I can't imagine there's a whole lot of people um, racing to get that sort of thing fixed or under any kind of oversight, we can probably conclude he's not wearing number 10 in a Cubs yeah. uniform. No, we can definitely conclude he's not wearing number 10. Right. Uh, Gomes is going to be in seven. We can't move on from 47, though, without me naming the shooter, Rod Beck. Yep. There's a 47. Todd Van Poppel wore number 47 for the Cubs. Coach Larry Rothschild. And um, this is something that I did want to mention. Shout out here to Pops, who's hanging in there, still listening to the show right now. And I'd be curious if he remembers this or not. He would have been 10 years old. In 1949, three different Cubs wore number 47. And in our house, these are three big names. Peanuts Lowry wore 47. Frankie Bumholtz wore 19, uh, 47. Hank Sauer wore 47, all in 1949. So you got to figure out what happened there. Three different guys that were around the team for a couple of years. But in 1949, Peanuts Lowry, Frankie Bumholtz, great name in Cubs history, and Hank Sauer, all wear number 47 for the Cubs. So, That's a great tidbit there, Ronan. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also got to give a shout out to Chad Fox, one of the many guys oh, yeah. Randall has loved over the years. Chad Fox, who I think felt his elbow explode right there on the pitcher's mound after a pitch. I don't remember what year it was, but I know he threw a pitch and he his arm freezes in the upright position right after he throws it and he walks off the field holding his elbow. I think he felt something felt something pop, felt something tear right there on the Wrigley Field mound. Well, 47 got you excited. 48 next week. We got some big time names. Looking forward to sharing those with you. I'm not just talking about Rex Brothers. We got some guys that we'll talk about next week. For I Jeremy, am delighted that we are not just talking about Rex Brothers. That would not be a very interesting segment. Milwaukee Brewer Rex Brothers. I'll say this. Tease the fans. Give them what they want. Ruben 
Cavedo. Oh, yeah. See you next week. Ruben Cavedo.